Welcome to the podcast of Grace and Peace Church. We're glad you're journeying with us, and we hope that you find value from the teachings. If you'd like to connect or support the mission of Grace and Peace Church, check us out at graceandpeacechurch.org or find us on Instagram or Facebook. Grace and Peace. We're in the series where we're going through the book of Mark, and we're on chapter 10, which is crazy. We've been in it for a long time, which is pretty rad. Um, but we're slowly cruising through it, and... Um, the first thing I want to do is uh, just mention the title of this message is going to be called Untethered. So just to kind of engage our brains, what comes to mind when you think of being untethered? Free. Free. Not connected to something. Tetherball. Tetherball. <laughs> yeah. Untethered. <laughs> be volleyball. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's awesome. That's a good one. I like that visual. Any other visuals that come to mind when you think of untethered heights? Yeah? Yeah. The balloon goes off in the distance and then lands in the ocean and kills fish. <laughs> um, untethered. I just, I just want to put that picture in your mind right off the bat because that's what we're going to talk about. I love the song that Matt selected. It's like the Holy Spirit, how it moves, of laying it down, laying down our lives, laying down the things that we wrestle with. Um, it's a hard thing. I think we all deal with it. I guarantee you, if we went around the room right now, like we'd all could say something, we could put something on the table that it was something heavy this week that was either a heavy decision or maybe you lost sleep over or you were wrestling with and you're like, what do I do with this? I don't know. And you still have no resolve, right? Um, what we're going to study here is this idea of being untethered and laying down these things that we think are so important, that we think are so just, uh, they're, we get wrapped up in them and they just, they, they keep us tethered, right? And so we're going to talk about being un- untethered and we're going to dig into that. And I'm using this random image in the background. It's going to be in the background of all the slides um, because that's my back porch, and that's my fake grass that I have in the backyard that's kind of just haphazardly put back there. Um, but it's my back porch, and that's where I spent a lot of my sabbatical just sitting there um, and reflecting, and it became kind of a sacred space for me. It's ordinary. It's totally normal. There's nothing super holy or different about it other than the fact that that's a really comfortable chair to sit in. Um, and it's outdoors. And I could hear the birds chirping, and I could hear off in the distance every morning at 7.30, I could hear the bells from the monastery that is down the street from us. And I was like, that is so cool. And it would just, it would put me in this place where I would begin to lay down the things that I would get tethered to. Because I think we all get tethered to stuff during the week that we need to disconnect from that we just don't need to be a part of. Part of it was I would leave my phone inside those doors that you see there. Because the moment I had my phone sitting there, it would buzz or something, an alert would come up, and I would be tethered once again. And so um, I'm going to encourage you right now to engage your mind as well. Um, where is a place that you are untethered, that you sit maybe during the week, or a place where you have that you can sit and be disconnected from things and recognize and reflect and process the things that maybe you get tethered to? You don't have to say it out loud right now. I just want you to think about it. And if your first thought is, I don't have one, then during this message, think about that, okay? Um, let's do it. So let's dig in. We're going um, to read Mark chapter 10, and it's going to be verses 13 to 31. It'll be on the screen, and um, I'm going to cruise through it. Let's stand for God's word. I'm going to start doing something a little different. 
Um, because I think that there's something valuable to standing and something valuable to our posture and how we move as we read God's word. And so, um, starting off verse 13, people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not, rec- uh, will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. And here's what's interesting. like You think that this is a separate thought, but it actually connects in. You'll see as we talk about it. So it goes on in verse 17. It says, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud or honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. He couldn't lay it down. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Then the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but with, not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Look how awesome we are. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brother or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, iPhones, oh wait, sorry, didn't say that, um, and fields along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Okay, so um, two seemingly separate passages, I think, are connected. Um, children coming to Jesus, being hindered by the disciples, being hindered by people around him, saying, no, 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 like, don't let them to him, like, and Jesus like, no, no, bring them to me, like, I'm all about this. Um, And then you have a passage about a rich man who is unwilling to lay down his riches. I want to show you a video here. Um, This week, there is a pastor who is one of the well-known prosperity gospel pastors who has private jet, I think a couple of Rolls Royces, um, kind of that level, did a giant shift. And I want you guys to watch this and see the shift that took place. If you hadn't heard, Creflo Dollar recently came out and seemingly recanted his initial position on tithing. If you didn't know who Creflo Dollar is, he is a famous prosperity preacher known for saying things like this. If I want to believe God for a $65 million plane, you cannot stop 
me. But recently, it seems his tone has changed. And today I stand in humility to correct some things that I've taught for years and believed for years. Throw away every book, every tape, and every video I ever did on the subject of tithing. I think this is a step in the right direction. How, how long has he been preaching this stuff? And he's just now coming to a more orthodox view of this concept of tithing, right? That that's, that this says a lot for just the lack of biblical literacy, not just amongst Christians, but amongst cl seemingly clergy. If you hadn't heard, Creflo Dollar recently came out. And um, that's wild. Like, this is a guy who, after 30 years of ministry and teaching and reading God's word, finally at some point said, wow, I got it wrong. Kind of convenient at this point, right, to be like, I got it wrong. But um, I thought that was interesting because you begin to see in his humility to say, you know what, everything I said, everything I did, it's wrong. That takes some, some guts, right? That takes a bold move to be like, there's a shift in my theology, in my understanding of Scripture and what God says about money and tithing, and now he understands a little bit clearer that you can't be <laughs> praying for, well, I don't know. I don't want to be God, but I'm pretty sure Scripture's pretty clear about like how we handle finances and what we do and the discernment and the call that we are to have with generosity. Um, but you see a full 180 in his theology. Why do I show you that? Um, right off the bat, I want us to see that there is both a, um, a discrepancy between Christians and money and how they handle those resources. Um, there can be, um, people can be misled pretty quickly and be hung up on money pretty quickly, right? Um, not just Christians. This is something that's just the human condition. Um, we, there is something about resources and money that gives us a sense of security and I would argue a false sense of security right or a false sense of happiness and joy um, and and I think what we see here for him to acknowledge that there is a shift um, that there is uh, something wrong in his theology shows me that we need to reflect on those things we need to be able to see it um, study it sit with it and go what are we doing with with the things that God's given us. And in this, this story that we read, the story of the, um, the rich, uh, rich guy that encounters Jesus, he wants eternal life. He wants to make a shift. He wants to make that change, but he's not willing to make the actual sacrifice. And so um, let's dig into it a little bit. Let's begin to see why that happens and, um, and what takes place here. So Mark drives home, I think, in this story as well, this narrative that there are two kingdoms always at play, right? There's always going to be God's kingdom, what he desires, and then there's always going to be what we call as Christians the worldly kingdom. And I don't like saying that because I feel like sometimes we, it, it becomes this like the enemy kind of thing, which it is at some times, but um, just like money, it's amoral. Like you, money is just an object. There's nothing evil about money, Right. It's what we impose on the money that makes it evil. It's what we do with it that makes it evil. Um, and so, or makes it wrong or whatever, however you want to describe that. And so to use the term worldly, I would say it's just like there are two kingdoms. And I, I love that description that scripture uses and that Jesus uses over and over that there's the kingdom of God. There's his heart, the way that he wants to do things. And then there's the kingdom of everything else, like 
our selfish rule and reign, however we want to do it. Um, kingdom is wherever you have say in. And where God has say is different than the way that we have say. And if we're left to our own devices, we will misuse money, we will misuse resources, we will misuse relationships, right? And that's where the breakdown happens. And this is where the distinction happens, where Mark is trying to show us the two worlds that exist, the two kingdoms that we need to begin to discern which one is more um, beneficial for life to the full. And so, um, so the conversation that Jesus has with him is, a, have you been following uh, Torah? Have you been living out the things that God calls you to do, right? And he lists them out, um, lists out the Ten Commandments. I think, do we have the image? Okay, cool. So these are the Ten Commandments. He lists out the back portion of it. And the back portion, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, that the first four have to do with the relationship with God. And then the last six are all about relationship with people, right? How we interact with people. And you can read there, like, you shall not murder. That's us interacting with one another, right? (laughs) You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. When you take something from somebody, that's a relational thing, which we would call like our horizontal relationship. The first section is all about the vertical relationship, our relationship with God, and describing really what it looks like to have a deep abiding relationship with God that says, I care more about God than any other thing, right? Um, and, and it starts out, you shall have no other gods before me. And that may seem like, well, I don't worship any other God. I don't have another religion. But maybe this phone in my pocket takes up a lot of my time and my focus and my energy. And if it's gone, I start to have anxiety, right? Um, then I would say you, that might be a God, right? I'm not going to say, I'm not going to prescribe that for you, but maybe it is. Um, so when we talk about gods and when the Ten Commandments talk about that, when, when God calls us to it, he's, it's not just gods as in religion, right? Like we need to recognize that there are many gods that exist all around us that we may worship, that we may idolize and really emphasize throughout our day. And we have to recognize that. And so what we see here is Jesus making the distinction between this guy's relationship with people and his relationship with God, that maybe he's missed the first portion of it, that maybe he kept all the rules relationally, because that makes you look good. If you don't commit adultery, you look good, right? If you don't steal from people, you look good. Um, Generally, if you don't lie to people, like, you look good. Um, Those are all things that would have made him look holy. But he's missing the part that is internal, right? That is secret, that is hidden. He's missing that part that requires a shift in your heart to say, I'm going to do whatever it takes to follow God's voice and not the world's voice. And the response that the guy had when Jesus says, okay, we'll go sell all your possessions and follow me. And he's like, no, no, I can't do that. That's too far. Because in his heart, he, he basically, Jesus points out which God he really worships. It's the God of money. Like he really cares about his money. And so he points that out. And so, um, in that culture, this guy who comes to him, this rich man, would have understood the Ten Commandments, and he would have also understood this prayer. And this is, I think, a, conne- a deep connection to it and understanding what Jesus is trying to do and draw out of him. Um, because these would, these would have been things that, in that culture, they would have recited morning and evening consistently. And Shema is one of those things. Um, 
It's a Jewish prayer that would have basically, uh, it's scripture, it's from Deuteronomy 6, um, but it's a pledge of allegiance to who God is. It's recognizing that God is the one and only. And so I'm going to read it just to remind us, because I think um, it's good to do, and maybe you haven't heard it, but it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. It's a centering prayer that says, all of my life will be centered around one thing, solely connected to one thing. And this idea of this guy understanding it, having these prayers, being part of this in his daily routine, morning and evening, and reciting something that starts out with to hear, he's not hearing it. That he's still tethered to something other than God, And he's not hearing. He's not able to listen. He's not able to actually hear the thing that he's called to, invited into. And and he's basically lost focus. And so um, his focus is solely about his appearance um, and isn't willing to make the actual shift to the thing that Jesus calls him to. Um, And arguably, the more important thing is that we understand deeply in our heart what motivates the rest of the Ten Commandments, the other six? That the other six aren't motivated by being a good person, by being nice. They're motivated by loving God and wanting to live out God's heart. And so when I love God deeply with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, then not stealing from my neighbor becomes easier right? Because we're motivated by that deep heart relationship that says, well, what would God want me to do in this relationship? And then it begins to shift everything else that we do. And then those other commandments become a little bit easier. And if we're trying to live out those 10 commandments or the rest of the commandments without a relationship with God, it's going to get really difficult. It becomes really tedious because then we're just rule keeping and we're going, did I do that right? Rather than going, oh, that breaks God's heart. I wouldn't want to do that. God's heart is for this person. They love them. God loves this person, wants to see them thrive. And what I'm doing is damaging and hurting them, right? That that deeper understanding, that heart understanding completely transforms our faith. It transforms how we live out our our faith. And so um, what I want to ask is like, what is our posture in this? Like, what is our posture towards God? Um, Is it a tedious rule-keeping kind of thing where I got to make sure I go to church, I got to make sure I read my Bible, I got to make sure I pray, or is it, I just want to know more of God's heart and I want to live that out. Um, And I think that the passage that we read at the very beginning ties in for this reason, that children, the, the description of him talking about us coming to God like children with that childlike faith, um, that only those that come with that kind of posture will receive the kingdom of God um, ties in here because of the way that children approach life. Children approach life, like you think about if you have kids, um, when they're real young, they approach life very, we would call it naive, right? But they approach life with like, the sky's the limit. We could do anything, right? Right? It's as they get older that they start to become hindered and they start to become closed off and concerned about what other people think. But when they're initially, they're just like, we can do anything right now, right? Let's go. 
And you're like, no, we're going to get ice cream tomorrow. And they're like, tomorrow? That's like a year away. We're not doing that. That's impossible. They're like, now. Why don't we go now? You know, like, this is it. This is the moment. And so um, this, this approach of learning, I think the reason that passage is in there is because Jesus wants us to have that kind of heart, that approach to God that says, oh, I just want to, I just want to come to Jesus, look, open arms, not tethered to anything else, but just open, free, and excited for where we're going to go next, right? And I, and I said the word naive because that, that sounds naive to us as adults, right? We're like, no, I have responsibilities. Like, I have things I need to take care of. And we're like, sure, we do. But are we so tethered to those things that Jesus isn't allowed to speak into our life that when he asks us a question, and the question doesn't have to be sell everything, give it to the poor, right? Jesus could be asking us another question of like, put down your phone. And you're like, no, I need to text somebody right now. And you're like, Jesus is like, no, put down your phone. Your kid's standing in front of you, right? Like, I'm just talking from my personal experience, uh, my battle that I have. And, and I'm like, no, I got to finish this or tell this person this thing. And, and then I feel like I'm not listening to God. In that moment, I'm not willing to listen to the thing that he's trying to nudge me towards because I care more about my phone or something else, right? Or my schedule or my time or my productivity or whatever it is. Um, and so do we come to Jesus with that childlike faith that says, man, whatever you ask of me, like, let's, I'm charging forward, and I'm in awe of you as God the Father that will lead us in the right direction. There's a portion of that Shema prayer that goes a little further that I want to show us because I believe that um, we need shaping as much as our children do, and one of the things that their prayer Uh, included was this portion where it says, you shall teach them diligently to your children, talking about these these rules of like loving God deeply with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? Um, You shall talk of them when you sit in your house or on the back porch watching the lightning. Um, And when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up, that like we're meant to teach our children this and this is meant to be central to life. That Relationship with God is priority. Like, sure, there's going to be rules and things you want to add on so you know how to live it out. But the central priority is, do you just love Jesus? Do you love God with all of your soul, with all of your might? And, and what we see here is just this rich man just didn't have it. And we can learn from that. And I think Mark puts the story in there because we can all relate, right? We can all relate to a question that Jesus asks us and we're like, oh, I'm not willing to give that up yet. Um, but I believe that there's freedom when we begin to give things up, when we begin to surrender and begin to see the, um, the invitation that Jesus gives us to a freer way of living. The response to verse 25, it says, uh, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the response, they were like, well, then who can get in? Like, this seems impossible. If, you know, if it's that difficult, how is this going to happen? And I started doing some studying on this passage because this verse um, is interpreted in many different ways. Um, One of those ways is that a camel um, could not go through a gate, which was apparently considered the needle, 
Um, and this is just a theory, which it still works. Um, but either way, it was a difficult challenge. But basically what they say is that a camel wouldn't be able to pass through this gate unless its um, bags were taken off of it. So any kind of luggage or any kind of thing that was on the camel had to be removed, any kind of baggage, in order for it to make it through the gate so it could stoop down and make it through this gate into the city. And so I was like, that's brilliant because it really drives home this idea where this rich man wasn't willing to take off the baggage. He wasn't willing to let go of the bag in order to enter the kingdom, right? That he's like, I'm holding on so tightly to this that I can't get in. And that's kind of the analogy that I think we see here. And maybe you've heard the analogy of a raccoon. And if you have a jar that's the size of the raccoon's paw, if he reaches in and grabs the fruit or whatever's inside, they're so tenacious they will not let go. And they will just keep pulling and pulling and pulling and will never release their hands out of that jar. And so the word picture I see here and the, the illustration I see here is that, like, I think we hold on to life. We keep the baggage on. And when Jesus is inviting us, he says, I want you to come into the kingdom, but you've got to let go of those things. You've got to be willing to let go of your fist or you've got to be willing to take off that heavy baggage that you have. And it may not be money. It may be some really hurtful thing that someone said to you 20 years ago. And that's your baggage that you're carrying around forever. And you're saying, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to carry this with me forever because they wronged me and I'm not going to forgive. And Jesus is like, no, I need you to forgive. I need you to come into this situation with open hand. I need you to take the baggage off so that you can enter through the gate. And, and I think the disciples saw that as impossible because they saw it as rules. You even see Peter, right? What is his response? We've left everything to follow you. Look how awesome we are. We gave up everything. And he, Jesus is like, no, no. Now you're prideful because you gave up everything. You think you're somehow better than everybody else because you gave up everything. It's not about the money. It's about your posture. It's about how we approach God. And so we see Peter again, just as he always does, but I think we can relate because... I know that I've been in those places where like, oh, I think I got it down. And Jesus is like, no, we got some humility work to do here. Um, and, and I think what we see here is that Peter is still tethered to maybe that pride that I'm the religious guy. I got it down. I'm doing the Jesus thing now. And so he's priding, he's priding himself on his obedience. And what Jesus does there, he's like, no, untethered. I need you to come untethered to me like a child, untethered to even the pride that you have and how religious you are, how Christian you are, how connected you are to whatever good thing that you're doing and how amazing you think you are. He's like, I just need you to come to me like a child. A child doesn't come to us with pride, right? Well, when they're younger, as they get older, they do. <laughs> um, and, and I think there's something beautiful about that visual of like the children, just Jesus being like, come to me like the children do with that kind of joy and that expectation and that open hand that says, we could do anything today. Like, the sky's the limit, right? And what's sad is I think about how we as parents or how the world begins to just tell us, no, you can't. No, you need to hold on tightly because the only way you'll make it is if you hold on tightly and make sure you have a big enough bag of money. The only way that you'll survive is if you protect yourself and kids are like, no, I'm not worried about that. Like, dad's got me. I just hold dad's hand and we're good, right? And, and again, like, I know that the, I know what Satan's going to say is like, that's naive. 
It's naive to think that kind of way, like a childlike faith. But what God is inviting us into is this free way of living that says, I don't have to hold tightly. I don't have to carry the baggage. I can just go to him. And every day can be this new mission, this new journey that we can go on, this new adventure of like where God can take us into conversations that may be redeeming, into uh, moments where we could begin to serve and, and be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world that he's invited us into, right? Um, that we can begin to come at life with an open hand. And there's something so freeing about that. But yet in the back of my mind, I know we're all going to walk out of here and go, but I still have things I got to do. I still have to be responsible, right? We all are. I just know it. I know even myself. Like I, I've studied this thing all week long <laughs> and I still come at it this way and go, but I think what we need to do is we need to remind each other um, and begin to get to this place where we go, oh, you know what? God's got this, right? The moments that I'm reminded most in my doubts is when I'm in relationship with somebody that will text me or call me or when I'm hanging out with them and say, no, keep charging. Like, God's going to do something amazing in this. Just keep going forward. Um, I don't know how, but keep keep staying faithful, right? And so the, I guess the resolution of like, how do we move forward with this? In our uh, sermon prep time with Matt and Krista, we were talking about this. We're like, how do you begin to like kind of give this um, a practical way to move forward? And I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but have you ever seen kids when they ask why? And they just keep asking why? And they keep asking why? I think there's something to that. As annoying as it is, so work with me here, I think there's something to it where if we begin to ask why in life, why am I holding on to money so hard? Like, why am I so tied to having to be at my job 24-7? Or why am I so tied to this relationship making me have joy? Or why am I so tied to whatever? I, I, the list could go on, right? I think if we ask why over and over, we could get to the bottom of it and go, well, maybe it's an insecurity. Maybe I just don't think that God's going to provide for me. Maybe I don't think that um, God can get me through this situation. Um, why begins to do something there. And we begin to ask why over and over and begin to dig deeper. And I know that that's difficult, but in Jewish culture, I want to share this one last thing. There's this thing called midrash. It's not a rash in your mid region, okay? It's, it's a way of approaching scripture. It's a way of approaching your faith that says, I'm going to seek out what God wants in my life. It's seeking out and questioning. So the definition here, you can see it's derived from the root word um, derash, uh, which means uh, resort to, seek, seek with, care, inquire, and require. It's seeking out. It's wrestling with it. So every rabbi in Jesus' day would be wrestling with Scripture. They would, if somebody brought something to you, you'd answer in a question form. You wouldn't answer with like, well, this is what Scripture says. They'd be like, no, how do you know? Answer with another question and come back with another question and let's wrestle with it. So it's, again, it's that why kind of posture. And um, in Jewish culture, it's like Jewish faith, it's still that way. There's still like, you should always be asking why. Like a child, why? 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 Over and over, like, why do I do what I do? Why do I work the job that I work? Why do I treat people the way that I treat people? Um, and then begin to ask these questions, because I think the more we question, the more we get at the bottom and the root and the heart issue of what we're getting at. 
Because that's what Jesus did with that rich man. He got to the heart of where he was, he was distracted, right? So maybe I'm too attached to my possessions like the rich man. Maybe that's something you need to wrestle with. Um, I'm just throwing out some questions here. Maybe I'm too attached to my political agenda. Maybe that's what re- makes you just lose sleep during the week. Maybe you're so attached to it that it, it's not life-giving anymore, whether you're on the right or the left. I don't care. Um, you can get too attached to something and think that that's it. And let's take it even further. Maybe I'm too attached to my orthodoxy, which is like our theology, our thinking, the way we approach faith. Maybe you're raised in a, a church or a, a faith or in a family that had a certain way of thinking that isn't very freeing. Um, or maybe it's your orthopraxy, which is just a fancy way of saying right acting. Maybe you think that going to church makes you holy and somehow that's going to make you awesome. Or maybe it's um, how you spend your money and you think that I'm so generous, just like Peter was like, hey, I sold everything and I'm here. Look how awesome I am. And he's like, no, that's cool. I'm glad you did all that stuff, but your heart's in the wrong place. You're doing it for prideful reasons. That's hard to hear, right? Like we don't want to, I don't think we like questioning because we don't want to get to the, the bottom of it because it gets messy. Um, and so that's why I'm kind of saving this to the end and then I can just skate out and leave it with you guys, okay? Just kidding. Um, but no, I think, I think it's, there's something good about it because I think we need to be reminded that like that childlike faith of questioning is healthy. It's good. It's actually freeing. But as adults, we're just like, no, I, I don't want to face my fears. I don't want to face the difficult things that just, they're in my heart and I, let's keep them there, you know? Let's keep it tucked away where it's safe and no one knows. But man, we, it's so freeing to let go. Like the raccoon that just lets go of the thing and lets go of his hand. Um, like the camel that takes the packs off in order to get into the gate. Um, Jesus wants, he uses these illustrations to show us, you want to enter the kingdom of God? You want to be part of the kingdom? Like, come follow me. I'll give you a way of living freely and lightly, right? From Matthew 11. I'll give you life to the full. Um, life abundant. But that doesn't happen when we hold tight. And so let's come at these things with loose, open hands and, and begin to wrestle with them. And I would just challenge you to wrestle this week. Um, we don't get off the hook that easy. We need, to, we need to wrestle with our faith. We need to question. We need to churn because I think that ultimately is what sets us free and begins to bring new life to our, our thing called Christianity or our thing called faith, right? And our relationship with God because I think that's the most important thing. And I, my prayer, my hope, is that we do continue to find more freedom. Um, I'm not the same person I was 25 years ago when I gave my life to Jesus, that I'm, I'm hopefully becoming more free, more like Christ, and I'm experiencing it more. Um, and that's my prayer for all of us, that we would continue to grow in that. I'm not perfect. None of us are perfect, but we're continually a question and draw closer and closer to it and become more and more free. So um, let, me, uh, let me pray, and then we'll read our, our benediction. Lord, um, I thank you for your word that, that cuts deep. <laughs> it's sometimes painful, but it cuts deep to the thing that really needs to be addressed in our lives, and that is there are two kingdoms, and I know that there's a lot of shiny, attractive things that pull us away from your kingdom, God, and so help us to see that there's nothing in that, that there's just hollow, deceptive lies in all of that, and that there's true life in following you, Jesus, and true life 
not just in following you and having a deep abiding relationship with you, but loving others in that process. That as we love people, as we learn to love freely, um, that there's something beautiful that happens in this world and it transforms us, it transforms our community, um, and it also ultimately transforms this world that we see is uh, so broken in so many ways. But I'm hopeful, and I see that in your prayer where you say, your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven, um, I believe that, and I believe that you long to work through us. And so as we go into this week, work through us, pour your Holy Spirit out, and transform us and use us powerfully. Thank you for the love that is unending. And uh, just uh, keep us mindful of that in your name. Amen. So we read this. We've been reading it for seven years. It's crazy. Rejoice in knowing that we never walk alone. Know the grace and peace of Christ walking beside us, guiding and protecting us. Let's share this comfort with one another and feel his presence each moment of every single day.